you have a Bible, you may want to follow along in the Bible. It's printed up in the uh, Seasons Weekly. This passage from Romans chapter 2 verses 6 to 16 is part of the grand indictment against the human race. So here we go, Romans chapter 2 starting at verse 16. God will give to each person according to what he has done. To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. But glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does good, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile, for God does not show favoritism. All who sin apart from the law will also perish apart from the law. And all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not those who hear the law who are, the, are righteous in God's sight, but it is those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. Indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature things required by the law, they are a law for themselves, even though they do not have the law since they show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their consciences also bearing witness, and their thoughts now accusing, now even defending them. This will take place on the day when God will judge men's secrets through Jesus Christ, as my gospel declares. There's a traffic sign that exists right here in St. Louis, and it indicates something that you see every day of your life, the speed limit. It's not unusual until you notice what is added underneath, no tolerance. It tells you many things, that little phrase, no tolerance. It tells you that speed restrictions are actually a joke. That tolerance means you can, up to a point, ignore them. And this one says, you better be serious. You will be caught for transgressing by even one mile per hour. And the first time I saw that or became aware of it, I looked at my speedometer and then looked in my rearview mirror and where's there a cop hiding here? And I slowed down, and people behind me backed up and pulled around me, and their mouths going yak, yak, yak. What this sign says, we uphold the law. And we have to tell you that because it is flaunted with impunity everywhere else. The second thing that this little sign does, it, it challenges me. Doesn't it challenge you? Really? No tolerance? I think I'll test that one out. Well, I'm a bit of a flunky, so I always speed up behind someone else. 
You do that? <laughs> and in six and a half years, not only have I never been caught, but I've never seen anybody else caught, and I've never heard anybody saying they've been caught. This is on Lindell next to Forest Park, by the way. So thirdly, the majesty of the law is actually made a laughing stock by the 35 mile per hour sign and that little rider, no tolerance. Uh, you see, I'm actually ridiculing the law here in public, in a church no less. And fourthly, any law is only as good as its enforcement. Our legislators can pass all the laws they like, but if they can't enforce them, we say, yeah, the law's powerless. It's got no teeth. It's not going to mean a thing. And you cannot talk about majesty, the majesty of God, without talking about the righteousness of God. And you cannot talk about the righteousness of God without understanding His holiness. We sang about that this morning. Holy is the Lord God Almighty. And that word means that He is perfect in His righteousness. And that means that He must have a law which is perfectly just. And that there's no tolerance. And you think you've been getting away with it, but we'll see as this sermon develops. So in Isaiah chapter 43 and verse 21, we have a verse which is paralleled in literally hundreds, if not thousands of places throughout the Bible. And is the very bedrock of everything in the Bible. It pleased the Lord... For the sake of his righteousness, that would be his holiness or perfection, to make his law great, great and glorious. And the Apostle Paul states the central thesis of the book of Romans. In chapter 1, he says, this is what the book is all about. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed. Does that surprise you? If you were really blindfolded and that verse stopped the righteousness of God in it the what would you say wouldn't we say the love of God is revealed but the apostle Paul says the righteousness of God is revealed now the whole book of Romans is all about that and thereafter, in verses 1 through 18, the great arraignment starts. And it's almost as if the Apostle Paul says, like the bailiff in the law court, the Supreme Court no less, all rise, silence in court, in the matter of God versus sinners, Judge Paul presiding, the parties have been sworn. This court is now in session. You may be seated. You need to be very clear that salvation through faith by grace does not mean the same as the grace extended by the law governing the speed limits in our city. The gospel does not do away with the law. It reinforces the law. 
God is not like some indulgent parent who lowers the standard. And grace does not mean that he shuts his eyes to our sin. That would mean ridiculing the law and the majesty of the law and by implication ridiculing God himself. It should make you shudder. The gospel then actually floods the character of God with light and enhances his glory. So then God is a holy or a perfect judge and his glory and his integrity will be upheld in the gospel. And now he in fact first of all indicts immoral Gentiles. Now Pastor Tom did such a fabulous job of expounding this. I'm just going to refer to it briefly and then move on. But in Romans 1, 18 to 32, here is the charge sheet against them uh, from the, the message. Since they didn't bother to acknowledge God, God quit bothering them and let them run loose. And then all hell broke loose. Rampant evil, backstabbing. They made life hell on earth with their envy, wanton killing, bickering, cheating. Look at them, mean-spirited, venomous, fork-tongued God-bashers, bullies, swaggerers, insufferable windbags. They keep inventing new ways of wrecking lives. They ditch their parents when they get in their way. They are stupid and slimy, cruel, cold-blooded, And it's not as if they don't know better. They know perfectly well they're spitting in God's face. And they don't care. Worse, they hand out prizes to those who do the worst things best. And of course, everyone in this room squints down their nose in disgust at this debauchery. Those filthy blighters, we think, yes, God, give it to them. They deserve it. They deserve your judgment and your wrath. My indignation personally is hottest for those who abuse children. And not far behind is those who abuse women. And of course those guilty of genocide and so on and so on. I look down my nose at them all. Ah, But now in chapter 2 the apostle says, Well, moral Gentiles are guilty as well. And again, our Pastor Tom did an excellent job of verses 1 through 5. You may want to re-listen to that or get it on a podcast or get the CD if you missed it. Now the moving finger that writes moves on and begins to point out every person in this congregation. And we say we recognize the gangsters of Mexico in that description of Gentile pagans in their immorality and we dismiss them with sneering contempt and now he says the residents of Kirkwood, Missouri are guilty of the same things oh my goodness someone saying he's gone too far Before you leave, will you hear the scriptures out? These are not me. This is not me, my words. This is God speaking to your heart. 
You know those posters featuring Lincoln dressed in a top hat with the stars and stripes and pointing out of the picture with the caption, Uncle Sam wants you. This is really a picture. And the caption reads, You too are a wanted criminal. So let's explore this very briefly. The first part again... Just three little anecdotes. We are as guilty as those people, not to the same degree, but certainly of the same things. Supreme Court Justice Learned Hand reached this conclusion toward the end of his career on the beach bench. (laughs) I suppose it is like a beach for some of those Supreme Court justices. He says, here I am, an old man in a long black nightgown, sitting up here making muffled noises at a man who may be no worse than I am. The director of federal prisons for nearly three decades, James V. Bennett, set a goal of improving conditions in federal prisons. And here was partly the motivation. My associates and I would now try to show that there was no essential difference between the men in prison and men on the outside. And then consider this statement by Jackie Mason. I don't know who he is, but the statement is, uh, is very, very illuminating. He says, 80% of married men cheat in America. The rest cheat in Europe. <laughs> now, why does he say that? And why do we laugh? Well, you see, in every man's heart, there's a bit of cheating going on. And I may, I have never committed adultery. It's never been in my mind to do that. But have I been pure in my thoughts? Well, the rest cheat in their hearts, we could say. So now let's move on and we see this judgment of God upon Gentiles takes place in four different directions. The first one is truth, which we've just been looking at and which the apostle, uh, which the apostle Tom, our pastor Tom expounded for us. And now he says in uh, verse 2, sorry, in verse 6, it will be according to works. God will give to each person according to what he has done. Oh, we sigh. That's better. Yes, my works are going to count for me. It's going to happen that I am not the same as the gangsters and as Jackie Mason. Those are slimy characters and they need to get what's coming to them. But if you put me on a continuum between Adolf Hitler and Mother Teresa, I'm right here in Mother's camp somewhere. In fact, some of us can say, you know, I'm quite impressive, actually. I'm this moral guy who, uh, here I am in church on Sunday. I mean, I could be riding my bike with all those pagans out there. Well, you know, every trial lawyer dreams of a situation where a plaintiff will be trapped into a confession. In the movie A Few Good Men, is a classic depiction of this 
Tom Cruise plays a rookie military prosecutor. And Jack Nicholson plays a crusty colonel with an impeccable record and exterior. All the pleats in his uniform are knife-edge sharp, and so are the pleats in his character. And Tom Cruise taunts and goads him until he sees red and loses control and blurts out the truth in a torrent, rather like a volcano spewing lava. And the entire court is electrified at the confession. Well, the Apostle Paul is goading you here. He's saying, you want to refer to your works and say, well, yeah, I'm better than Hitler and I'm over in mother's camp. Well, let's go down that road if you want to. God will give to each person according to what he has done. And let's have a look how he develops that. The word must be emphasized to those who by patient persistence in well-doing serve God. Persistence, that's the important word. And that's the word that's lacking in my own life and lacking in every life. Here's a summary of the scope of this Law of God with all its majesty, Deuteronomy 27. And again, this is the basis of the entire book of the Deuteronomy and all of the Bible. God's curse on whoever does not give substance to the words of this revelation by living them. Or as the Apostle Paul put it, when he paraphrases the same principle in Galatians chapter 3, utterly cursed is every person who fails to carry out every detail written in the book of the law. And you might add in there, fails perpetually or with persistent patience to carry out. Now let's have a look at this again. God will render... To each one, according to his deeds, eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality. In other words, you could earn your salvation. If you were able to keep the law of God with patient persistence, if you could do every detail, if you could give substance to the law in the way you live, you could actually earn your salvation. But you're not going to do that, are you? And you can't do that either, can you? So the Apostle Paul is now getting us in the vice grip of the law. Well, here we are collecting groceries for cook care this month. And maybe you felt very good about bringing maybe two, three, four sacks of groceries and putting them in that pickup out there and... Uh, those who are in the know about this are patting Green Tree on the back and saying, there's no competition going, but Green Tree's provided the most groceries for Kirk care. Now here comes the law and says, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. So if you love your neighbor as much as yourself, why did you just bring four packages of groceries? 
Don't you see? You should have got the truck to your front door and emptied your entire pantry into the truck to give substance to the law. Love your neighbor as yourself. And what about the rest of Sunday? You felt so good putting those groceries in. But the rest of the day, are you going to be loving your neighbor as yourself? So you see, we all caught out here, and the Apostle Paul has led us along like a clever, clever prosecutor, and he's shown us that we are all guilty. The third way in which we are judged is through impartiality. In verse 11, where he says, For there is no partiality with God. And you know, if you're going to bank on anything in this trial, maybe you should be thinking, maybe God will be partial to us because, after all, we green tree. Well, Lady Justice wears a blindfold, doesn't she? And she does that in order that she will be impartial. She cannot see who the rich are and who the poor are. She just hears the charge sheet as it is presented without judging whether these people are men or women, what their color is, what their race, creed, dress, nationality is, or any other category you might think of that might make justice partial. You know, choosing a jury is the whole process of weeding out those who are partial. I had a personal experience of that about five months ago. I was called and went along and was thinking desperately, how do I get out of this? I'm sorry, I'm not such a hot citizen, am I? I should want to do that, but somehow it doesn't interest me. And lo and behold, the case involved a huge corporation where the directors were fighting over millions and I knew a low-down menial in one of the companies of this large corporation and so I said to the judge, I know somebody in the company and I'm not sure if I can be impartial. Well, the lawyers started twittering and I was called up to the bench and the judge said, are you sure you can't be impartial? I said, well, judge, I really would try but, you know, I can't guarantee it because it's such a deeply subconscious thing that unconsciously I, I might not be <laughs> partial. And, of course, the rest is history. So is there partiality with God? In no way or form or manner will there be any partiality the apostle is very clear whether Jew or Gentile, whether the immoral in chapter 1 or the respectable immoral in chapter 2, no partiality. And if you stall saying, well, I've got one objection up my sleeve and I say, objection, your honor, I plead ignorance. I have never read the Bible. I don't know what the law says. I don't care about what anyone else says because I follow my own truth. Well, whoops, you just stepped in it again. Because the apostle says, those who have the law will be judged by the law and those who don't have the law have the law written on their hearts. 
let me just ask you this simple question. Watching those Chilean miners come on out of the bowels of the earth after 69 days of being under the threat of losing their lives, did you watch that or have you seen it? Did you follow that? And were you overjoyed when the first one appeared and then as one by one they popped up every 50 or so minutes? Weren't you anxious to go and say, how many are safe now? How many came out? Do you know why you rejoiced in that? Because the law is woven into the fabric of your heart. You rejoice at good things. And tell me this, when BP took the cheap way out and took the great risk which failed and there was that terrible spill in the Gulf which threatened the entire region's economy and the livelihood of people and all the wildlife and stuff. Did you think those dirty, greedy swine? Why did you do that? Because the law is the basis of your being. So you will be judged on the basis of your own knowledge of the law in your conscience and your own thoughts at times defending you and at other times accusing you. And so he says in that rejoinder, when outsiders who have never heard of God's law follow it more or less by instinct, they confirm its truth by their obedience they show that God's law is not something alien imposed on us from without but woven into the very fabric of our creation. There's something deep within them that echoes God's yes and God's no. What's right and what's wrong. And you think you don't need a savior. And finally he says... You will be judged according to your motives. So moral Gentiles are guilty. And in the day when God will judge the secrets of men. So everything that you've kept a big secret inside of you. The contempt you've shown people but hidden. The way you've manipulated others but made it look good. The lust of your heart, the greed, your entire budget and the principles that are behind it in terms of living for God or living for self. I could go on and on. All that secret stuff that some of it you're not even in touch with yourself, all of it, all of it will be exposed when God judges the secrets of men. And you think you do not need a savior. Now you may think this is rather academic and it doesn't really matter because uh, here I am, I'm 66 years old and I've never been struck dead. I've had a few ups and downs in my life but generally been blue skies, the storms have passed and things have evened out and life is good. Well let me give you a little confession that may make this uh, spring to life for you. I am an expert at red light infringements. I see a lot of nodding heads here. 
if I may say so, I'm actually very good at it. You see, I've been driving for 48 years. I've had no accidents and no tickets, and I have probably jumped maybe thousands of red lights in my day. In fact, people who don't jump them irritate me to death. You know those, those left-turn lights where there's only enough room for three cars before it gets red, and the first guy takes three, three to five seconds to respond Oh, mother. And then the next guy waits another five seconds, and by the time I get to the white line, it's already turned orange, and it's going to turn red. And, of course, these days I first look to see, is there a camera there? <laughs> Gentlemen, I'm, I'm planning an outing. We're going to go out one night at midnight and shoot out all the cameras in time. <laughs> now, what if... You see, I'm blithe about it. I'm mocking the lawyer, aren't I? And I'm blithe and free-spirited and I laugh about it. But what if there was a satellite tracking every infringement? And uh, say this week, somebody somewhere decided, you know, it's time we got, got this guy. He's been thumbing his nose at the law, so let's fix him. And a container arrives at my front door. And inside are all these dockets, not only of the red light infringements, but all the secrets of my heart as well. And lo and behold, one container can't contain them all, so here comes another one and another one. And all of a sudden, there's a judgment day. God has been tracking you. Why? Well, as Pastor Tom said last week, it's his patience and the goodness of his heart and his forbearance longing for you to come to repentance. Longing for you to turn to the Savior. So he's going to judge in all these ways, but through it all he's saying, oh, if only, if only, if only they would turn. So we have this crisis on our hands this morning, and I want every person here to feel that you are part of, you are entangled in this crisis. Go up and down the rows and feel this, the touch of the Holy Spirit upon you. You are a lawbreaker. You may think that you're going to get away in the judgment, but you're not. I'm not saying it. God is saying it. And here he comes with his mercy and this is what he says, but in our times something new has been added. What Moses and the prophets witnessed to all those years has happened. The God setting things right that we read about in the law has become Jesus setting things right for us. And not only for us, but for everyone who believes in him. For there is no difference between us and them in this. Since we've compiled this long and sorry record of sinners, both us and them, and proved that we are utterly incapable of living the glorious lives God wills for us, God did it for us. Jesus lived that perfect life. Out of sheer generosity, he put us in right standing with himself. 
a pure gift. He got us out of the mess we're in, restored us to where he always wanted us to be, and he did it by means of Jesus Christ. And here are the mechanics of it. God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. The sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past, including me. I've sinned in my 66 years in innumerable, unmentionable ways. For he was looking ahead and included them and me in what he would do in this present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness. For he himself is fair and just and he declares sinners to be right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. The declaration is the declaration of the judge. The judge saying, not guilty. You are acquitted. For in the righteousness of God is revealed, and it is written, the just shall live by faith. So, what is faith? A man courts a woman... And the day comes when he says to her, will you marry me? And she accepts. And that intention results in a commitment. That commitment is faith. God is courting you here this morning through the worship and through the word and the prayers and the fellowship. God is reaching out as he, we've seen in the word of God and saying, I don't want to send all these indictments down. And now we need to say, I do, to the courtship of God this morning. You see, some have thought, I'm a good person. I'm actually a follower of Jesus, but they've never made the commitment. And there are others who say, well, I'm a, a good Presbyterian. That word Presbyterian won't be found anywhere in heaven, believe me nor will Baptist or any other denomination. I'm not being particular. Remember, with God there is no favoritism. This is uh, the month of October. In 1959, on October 13th, that's just four days ago, I heard the word of God, and it came to me and convicted me that I needed to commit my life to Christ and 13th of October, four days ago, was the 51st anniversary of my spiritual birthday. It took me and turned me around and my faith journey began and it took me around the world and brought me here and brought you here this morning so that God's word might come home to you. And I have the immense responsibility and privilege of inviting you to start your faith journey today. While the uh, worship team are singing the closing worship, I'm actually going to come down and stand up front here 
And I'm going to invite you to come and say, I do. You'll know that you need to come if your heart's beating 200 a minute right now. That's how you know. And nobody's going to think anything if you push past and just go, this church will rejoice to see you come and make a public commitment saying, God said I do in Jesus. Today's my day to say I do to Jesus Christ. So don't wait. Just come on up and stand around me. And at the end, I'll pray with you and and, uh, get get you started on the faith journey. So let us all pray together. Almighty God, we feel like your spotlight has shone on us this morning. And I myself have a deep debt of gratitude to you. And I come to you with worship and thanksgiving for Jesus, who died in my place and lived a perfect life that I could not live. And on the strength of that, God the just judge can declare me not guilty. The just shall live by faith. That's where I must continually go to connect with you. I must go to the cross. I must say, Jesus, I did say I do, and I continue to say I do. Thank you. Thank you, holy God, for finding a way to redeem wayward sinners. And all this in Jesus' name. Amen.